know, it was like just watching him just out of nowhere just get so excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of his chair. Yeah. You know, it was uh, an amazing thing to watch. I mean, and then he, see, that that's what I mean. Maybe this stuff we don't understand about any artist. Yeah. You know, which he was, like, that just, as he would say, rang his bell. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, and Leon Redbone. Yeah. He saw that. And just he said he went back to mm. to get in line. Yeah. He wanted to get in line, and there was no one else in the There's line. There's no line. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was there no one else in line. Yeah. You know, and the fact that that record actually went on to sell some, you know, what was it? Because uh, live. SNL, but because of a snowstorm, like you know, they finally oh. book him on the show because someone had to cancel. Oh, okay, is that why? Yeah. And he had been bothering, who was it? Like, Kenny Vent, who was working at SNL that would book the music at that point? Gene Domanian. Was it Gene? Yeah. Oh, Gene's the best. Um, so, yeah, basically it was like months and months and months and months of like, you know, book this act, book this act, and like, you know, just no responses. And then finally, I think it was because there was a, an act couldn't physically be there. It was a lot, because he didn't live that far from the city, he could make it into the city. Yeah, they you know? didn't know the week before because... Oh, really? I mean, I had seen that cast. It was where it's just like, I was in college. Um, yeah, you weren't working still. on the show, right? No, I wasn't. I had been there. I mean, Lifton was working on it. Oh, yeah. I would occasionally go, but the first time I actually saw Saturday Night Live, because it was Saturday, I mean, yeah. I was, wasn't watching TV at home, uh, yeah. was the Desi Arnaz show. <laughs> of course. No, I remember, no, yeah. that was the week before Leon was going on, and I yeah. knew who John Belushi was because I had seen Lemmings. Sure. Um, there was the you know mixture of the cast of Lemmings and um, Second City that yeah. comprised that first cast. Yeah. And so I watched it with uh, Desi Arnaz on it, and then I think it was um, Elliot. Gould? No, it was someone like that. That sounds familiar. He was on twice that first season. Yeah. Well, the first time, I mean, he literally, yeah. Leon was on, and I think it was like, they literally sold like half a million records. It was like, people didn't, couldn't believe, like, what is this? This is incredible. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and, and he was right about an act like that. I think he would get around white rock acts and not know what to do. Because I just don't think he really, he just inherently didn't feel that music he didn't see the intellectual side of it or, or feel like well what am i going to bring to this you know like but what know. about room full of blues or is that's that just a, doc's uh, enthusiasm you know yeah i think it's like i mean i think after the fact growing up and then hearing him talk about like that i think it's a way it, i think that was as much a way to work with doc as it was a way to you know i'm sure he really liked the music and it, you know, look what it was steeped in. At least it was still steeped in a, like a, I don't know, I just think you Well, really... what, I, what was interesting was being around those first two records. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first one, when, he, when they saw him, because I had seen Room Full of Blues, and I thought before even Doc and him saw them. Yeah. Once at the bottom line, and I, right. my impression was really great, but they kind of bored me. Right. Because it, that, to me, wasn't the real thing. If I wanted that, I'd see an RBQ, I think. Or, right. Uh, who's another group that actually approached him that he he wouldn't, but he never listened to them. Right, and he would make that kind of mistake. He just wouldn't check something out. I mean, it's it's funny, like, we're, you know, I don't want to, yeah. like, dwell on his calls. No, 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 but make, that's the other thing, but Room Full of Blues was right, because yeah. that did really well. Yeah. No, that's no. what I meant, it's just you don't always, and no one understands necessarily why you make your decisions, and a lot of people don't, I know, don't understand why I make mine. No, no. Um, yeah. So, no, no, it's just, having been there is just an interesting journey. It's like, uh, so Room Full of Blues, mm. he just came, he said... That lead singer, that lead guy of Duke. I mean, yeah. He looks like Reginald Van Gleeson the <laughs> third. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> Reginald yeah, Reginald. Yeah, and these I've guys the blues. <laughs> yeah, that had never been in a real studio before. No. Yeah. They just and they knew every blues record, but I mean you mentioned yeah. anybody. It went on a member about a story about um Bull Moose Jackson. Mm. At he was a delivery boy, and this record that he came and delivered sandwiches on a 
oh, project, yeah. and they recognized who it was, and, and they had him come in. Wow. And he said, I'm Boo Boo Jackson. I was just delivering, you know, yeah. and I would have sing, you know. And they knew everything, every yeah. 78, everything. You mm-hmm. know, I guess they were from Boston or something and up there. And uh, I just remember playing in that little room in the back and uh, at Regent, mm-hmm. where I guess the Flamingos and all them recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankie Lyman yeah. in that room. And then Duke of Kidding, I remember his, his hats and his ears were like this. And you could just see he was just listening to himself. Yeah. And it's like Freddie Moore. Remember him? The drummer. He was from the, uh, he was like 90 some years old. He was uh, in, uh, he played with Armstrong in the 30s. Yeah, oh, he wow. was like an old guy. And he was uh, in Kathy Chamberlain's group. Really? Kathy Chamberlain's Rag and Roll Review. Wow. Another one at Doc's. Yeah. Finds. Yeah. And he sang Rock and Cheer. Did you ever hear that? No. Oh. To no. find that, yeah. and he put Fisher strings on it. Oh yeah. So there's Freddie Moore in there hearing his thing with strings on it. Yeah. And he was like, ah, it was like he was in Hollywood. Exactly. It's the opposite when Joe Jones came in and he wanted him to overdub. Right. And he wouldn't. I can't overdub. Yeah. I have to see the artist. <laughs> I have to see him. You know, it's like crazy <laughs> shit. But uh. So Duke, yeah, they're there, and they're watching, they're listening, yeah. and it's like this first album, it's a big success, yeah. you know, I mean, for that type of record, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? It sold, like, you know, like... Six figures, and yeah. maybe 80 to 100, but still, yeah. and it costs... Um, Whatever it costs. 10,000 to make, yeah. I don't know, Not if, if even that. Yeah. And um, so, I guess they toured the world, they're coming for the second Oh, record. boy, yeah. And... They're wearing Hawaiian shirts and shit, you know. Obviously, they got laid somewhere. <laughs> this thing happens, and Duke comes in and he starts saying how he didn't like the guitar sound on the first okay. record, and he wants to try the amp in the hallway. Yeah. I never forget this because I they were trying this shit and they were going to the bathroom, and I went in there and Art Carney was pissing. Art Carney was Art in the bathroom. Art Carney was in the bathroom. <laughs> no, no, he was like they were doing voiceovers. Right, yeah, they used to do Just, voice yeah, on yeah, Jim yeah. Vickers was his name. They were doing right. that kind of stuff at B, and uh, like <laughs> you know, he was that did, old did man. Did Zarkarni go up to a urinal, go and go address yeah. the urinal? No, no, he was <laughs> no, not exactly not Mr. That... Funny. No. no, some people like they get a little cranky when they yeah. get old. Yeah, you know, with Gleason too. You see those movies, you know. Yeah. I mean, you see The Late Show? Uh, yeah. You know, it's just... Uh, Gleason's legendary. No, but that's hard. He's not... Yeah. He wasn't Ed anymore. No. No. But he was... I'd never forget seeing him in the bathroom there with Duke <laughs> with trying to get a guitar sound in the hallway. Yeah. And this is going on for a while. And Doc really had patience for this. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, really, no. <laughs> of course. And this is the thing where he... You know, sat there and Duke started giving him some lip or something, and oh, they had done that. He, and he took out a revolver out of his bag and started polishing it. Yeah. But shut up, and then Doc left. He never came back, and Joel didn't. So Vince and I finished the record. Really? Yeah. Like. It was already recorded. By right, that point. but it just you sort of mixed we, it. We mixed it a sequence that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Zagorski do the cover. Is he still alive? I don't know. Zagorski? I don't think so, but I'm not positive. I'm not really sure. But I, I, I know that... I know that whatever happened on that second record from that point forward, that, you know, when, when Duke's name came up, my old man was kind of... You know, he had had enough. You know, I saw Duke not long ago. Yeah. Oh, he's played for Dylan. You know, yeah. he's played for Waits. He's, he's, he's very he talented. Was cool. No, you know, I mean, they were, you know, they were all kids back Exactly. Then. You, know. you know, and that was, you know, I can't just say they were, you know, but they was just, they were doing it in the wrong house. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it's funny. I, I saw a, a lot of people did stuff like that in the wrong house. And yeah. I, I got to, as a kid, really see a lot of people, you know, we were talking about Bet earlier, like, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's interesting how pained and angry and just, I don't know, it seemed like my, fa- my father seemed to only work on stuff 
that was like no one ever just came in and said okay the first take was good i'm gonna go have lunch like it was never it you know now excuse me you know there are records he worked on where he loved the artist and they were incredibly close and they were you know Leon's first record was like that I'm sure but was Leon's second record like that no that's the thing as soon as someone gets a taste of that you know massive success you know they you know everyone but they still lasted another few records yeah no I think they did three I think the it was third three. one was even harder yeah and I remember at the end the final version by mistake, put in the wrong sequence and no one noticed it. Right. It was weird. Really? Yeah, I remember just, that. Yeah, something happened that was ended up in the wrong sequence and no one picked up on it until it was too late. So it was released and so I never listened to it in that same way. You right. I never sat around and listened to the pressing on three different stereos by that point. Right. And then they got involved with that uh, Green and Stone team. Don't know who that is. Because Warner's... I don't know these Warner's... That's when Jerry Wexler had taken over East Coast. Yeah. And after that last one, Warners had dropped Leon. Right. Which was weird, because he was still selling records, but, you know, we knew yeah. what that was about. And then yeah. they ended up on this Emerald City. Oh, okay. Charlie Green, Brian Stone. Right. And then, well, this is stuff I haven't thought about in years. And they recorded a live record at the Bijou Cafe. Okay. I don't know if you remember this. I, I don't. I'm, I'm actually really not familiar with Leon's stuff. Like, I, I always didn't check it out for some reason. <laughs> he was, you know. It was at the Bijou, and he had a clarinet player who was a genius, but, but, you know, uh, not a functioning person named Bobby <laughs> Gordon. Okay. And Bobby had been on two plane crashes. Oh, that's right. My uncle was in one of those on Allegheny Air. My uncle With was Bobby a tuba Gordon, player. Yeah. Yes, they lived through, well, obviously, if he had been on two, he lived through... One, the one with Leon. Yeah, that was bad. It was on Allegheny. Yeah, and that was one, and Bobby had been on another one. Oh. So, I don't know, medication. Bobby started losing it during the show. All right. So, he was playing to his back to the audience. He wasn't playing into the right, you know. Right. And the audience was just, they thought it was part of the act. Oh. And it was like, I didn't know you here, Bobby. You got it. <laughs> yeah. it was it was just insane. It was just insane like, to the point where he couldn't cry. So all we did was laugh, like you know, like right. in pain. Right. He so couldn't believe what had just happened all that night. Right. He's literally having a breakdown. Well, he had a breakdown. Then he disappeared on the streets. No one saw him for three weeks. You know, but uh, it was like hard. so. Of course, this was scratched. This record. Right. And then years later. All of a sudden, it was coming out. Like, yeah. once they all split up, it was this big lawsuit. And those guys wanted to milk it. And yeah. It was, uh, yes, I haven't thought about wonder if Bobby Gordon is still around. Don't know. I know any, anyone I knew that was playing with him or worked with him, like, just wasn't anymore. You know what I mean? At, at a certain point. I know my, my uncle stopped working with him, and that was a big deal. It was like, you know, my father always felt like, you know, he treated his brother kind of poorly, you know, you know, drive the bus or whatever. I don't know the real, the, the, you know, I don't know the realities of it, but I yeah. know that it wasn't comfortable for, for anyone, you know. Well, that's just so bizarre. It was just, uh, I didn't even mean to talk tuba. about this shit. I wanted to talk about the Nailers trucks getting set on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my first memory yeah. of knowing you, my first memory of hanging out with you was the night that the neighbor's truck was on fire, watching it glow, and and sitting there and going, guys, what did you know? Who knows what you guys were doing? And I'm like, guys, what's that sort of glowing? <laughs> you know, like what's that? Glow? I remember pulling up. Pulled up. It was a holiday, right? Yeah, it was like a summer holiday. It was like you know Memorial Day or. For or, some reason, I came back and there was some yeah, you party were, or your dinner you were having. We had something, and we ended up afterwards on the. We had this enclosed porch and it was you know i was seven i was seven years old and the, the <laughs> night i remember meeting you not meeting you because mind you i've probably been around you for yeah. three four years easily <laughs> but you're six you don't really you're not cognizant of everything i just remember looking at you and going what's that glowing and then the next thing i know is that the brother set his brother's truck on fire in our nice little this isn't a shtetl. This is a nice little suburban area. 
and my father yelling at the police and the and the firemen, don't let the mother near the fire, she'll explode, she's a drunk. And he just yelling. So Noah, once we pulled up, I remember driving up, was it Prescott Road? Yeah. Driving up the road and their truck, I mean, there was a full-fledged fire up to the air. I no, guess. it was like trees were going to catch on yeah, fire. Yeah, and they're still spread. in the house and they didn't know it. They didn't know. Well, no, someone knew, the person yeah. who said it, <laughs> but then everyone else didn't know that, you know, there was about to be an explosion, you know. <laughs> She's sleeping. She's asleep. I don't know what other, what, what one of the healthy, youthful little nailers were doing. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, it was so surreal. So I think of this long run of work that you and I have done, totally separate from the relationship with my father. We met at a fire. That's yeah. what, from my childhood memory. So, so it was uphill from there pretty yes. much. not a 4th of July campfire either <laughs> no no I just you know but I, I loved <laughs> the fact that you know don't let Mrs. Naylor near the fire you know I mean I, I certainly hope none of them hear this I doubt they will but like you're not living in Philly anymore at this point you'd already been living you know by the time like that's like 77 are you already Working on the show, are you no. not quite yet, right? I left the second high school was over. <laughs> second, no, and I don't even know. You think back and go back there now. Philadelphia's not so bad. No, it was kind of uh, sort of. But I, I wouldn't guess... live there again. I mean, I did make a bit of a side trip there, and I, I, I'm not happy that I lived there, but it isn't bad. No, I mean, even then, I guess a lot of us just have to get away from where we are, no matter where it was. Yeah, and. Um, at that point, uh, I guess, where people that grew up on rock and roll moved over to punk, because when ro uh, rock got boring. Yeah, got very boring. I moved to jazz, because it was in uh, Philadelphia. I was still in high school, and uh, Miles was doing On the Corner and all that, and uh, Rasan was playing the main point, and... Uh, Jeez, Sun Ra. I saw him a zillion times. Yeah, I mean, he was and living. WXBN and Geno's Fox. So it was jazz to me. Yeah. It was the thing. So, no, it was, uh, I wanted to be in New York. Yeah. So the second I, you know, I remember I moved to, went to NYU summer school. And NYU back then, it was the 70s in New York, was not a difficult school to get into. <laughs> and it wasn't expensive. Yeah. No one wanted to be in New York. No. The city was, and it, it was, was wonderful. Yeah. But I loved that toilet. It was yeah. just. I thought it would always be like that. And uh, the first night I was there, I went to see Elvin Jones at the Vanguard. Oh, your first night at school, you saw Elvin? The first night that summer, I went to see Elvin at the Vanguard. And I remember Stanley Clark at the bar yeah. hanging out. This one. And Elvin, the book, the Albert Goldman book on Lenny Bruce had just come out. Yeah. And Elvin introduced Albert Goldman from the stage. <laughs> really? That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. I had been there a few times before. We used to come up from high school to sure. see stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just was, um, that was just being in a candy store then, and, you know, yeah. the avant-garde bluff scene was going on. Yeah. And, and then I knew you, your dad, you know, from Jaime's. <laughs> you met so, my dad at I, your dad's deli. I knew who he was. He was more well-known in the neighborhood from the commercials. Right. Yeah, the Rondo H. Slade commercials. He did commercials for plastic slipcovers, which yeah. I've only seen a handful of, but, yeah, kind of hard to explain. But yeah. He was a P.T. Barnum-esque pitch man on uh, UHF television at late nights on Fridays. I don't know when, but I, clear yeah. plastic slipcovers. There's a, there's a clear plastic slipcovers. That's a tongue twister. Right? <laughs> clear plastic slipcovers. Yeah, uh... The masked announcer uh, making TV yeah. commercials for a, a, a clear plastic slipcover store. So you knew who he was from that, but didn't you come up? Yeah, no, Joey DePasquale, there's another name, uh, yeah. told me who he was. I mean, oh, and he, then we had those just records. just down the street. Yeah. Lived, I mean, just in the opposite way from yeah. where you live. They got to know your dad before I did. Uh, oh. But he was, uh, they had those records. It was all those Atlantic records, the best of with the... Colors yeah. and the, the like, the sort of like Mingus and yeah. Rosanna Modern Jazz Quartet and Yusef, yeah. and he pointed out that that was, and I was just starting to get into music. I had volunteered slavery and oh wow, all that, and then I introduced myself once to him in the store when he came in. He's come to my father's deli, and then I heard um, 
I believe he had these three records out, if not the same day, mm -hmm. the same year. Uh, I used to go to Mads Records and Ardmore. Great little record store, yeah. Yeah. And they used to have, you know, the jazz was in the back and <laughs> up, you know, and they had Layers, Les oh. McCann, Be Prepared to Deal Thyself with a Miracle yeah. by Rossan and yeah. Part of the Search. Wow. And they're all, I think they're all from the same year. Yeah. They may not be the same sort of yeah. release date, but... I mean, and it just was this guy. I mean, he was making, because in the rock and roll records, I mean, where they got conceptual, uh, the White Album to Berlin to whatever, yeah. uh, he was making records with jazz artists like that. Right. Wasn't By like, the way, with knowing maybe White Album excluded, yeah. he knew nothing about Berlin. He knew yeah. He didn't know that music. He didn't know what anybody else was doing. Yeah. So it is interesting that that time period, that's that work's coming out of a lot of people. Yeah. But to do that with Youssef Latif, I think, is a little different. No, it was. <laughs> it was a, out there. It was jazz yeah. people hated it. But to me, sure. it was like this radio dial turning through. But he said a lot of it came from uh, this interest in him. And that's where Erdogan had in surrealism. Oh, and painting. Yeah. So it was making paintings into music. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean... I just ran up to the house after I heard part of the search. It That's was just mind blowing. Out. I could not believe that record. It was funny. It was beautiful. It was, yeah. you know. And then he uh, went to NYU. Started inviting me to come by. So it yeah. was a slow. That's the thing about him, and it's funny. I don't even know need to know how he spoke to you or how he interacted with you. He was always would let people come around, and he will. You know what I mean? Like he must have been. You must have been shocked at how sort of inviting and yeah sort of in the long run I think in the back end of it I think he had already won he had just won the second Grammy oh okay and I think it's the like fact 73 no, no, well this is 74 when I moved to New York okay oh wow so he don't want it whatever that year was before right. that whatever so, so 72 what, 73 so no 74 is the Grammys like in February the, yeah so he would have won it that year okay and he had left Atlantic before that or something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and he wanted the year before, too. So, yeah. there were a lot of people sniffing around him. And then and, and I think anybody that knew that other work... Got the... Got the... Invited, yeah. yeah the they fact that came well, up and talked to him about those records. Well, I mean, what are you, I, that's what 16 I think, at the time, yeah. too? So a 16-year-old kid blown away by part of the search, yeah. you're immediately welcomed into the... Because, you know, I know what, how he felt about those records, and I know how much... Yeah. I mean, he really... I remember hearing part of the search for the first time in my life, and going... And, and myself, maybe a little younger, maybe like 12 or 13, saying, what is this? And then saying, it's a little... In a little Spanish town is the last song on the record. No, no, it's on another record. Oh, wait. No, no, no. That's, is that on... That's on Doctor Is In and Out. Sorry. Okay. I'm I'm confused then. I what remember, happened? Yeah. No, I remember. Okay. And the still of the night was the end of side yes. one. All right, but I do remember listening to that record and saying, "What the hell is this?" And like, yeah. this is amazing. Like, this you're sampling, you're you're actually sampling, but you don't even know like, that's that that's what it is. And he's like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> he's like, "We just you know." And it was an Earth year, as you said. He didn't know about the Stockhausen experiments and no. George Martin and no. Paul McCartney and. Uh, you know, the Moroccan journeys of the stones and None. all that stuff. Must have known a little bit about the stones just from being around Atlantic. I think that... The, they did do, they did schlep him in the Allman Brothers session. Yeah, no, and he worked on that first, I mean, he worked yeah. on the first record, though he co-produced the first record, or he produced some of the tracks in the first Almonds. But you know I, if he ever listened to the, the stuff. No, he didn't. I think the thing with the stones with him was he felt the experience of the label trying to sign them affected what he was trying to do with the artists he was working with. I think he, the thing with the right. Stones for him was how like obsessed Amit was with courting and signing them and the uh, you know in, in, insanity that ensued at the label I think he, ne he cared about King Curtis you right. know, he cared about Fat hit. Like, I don't really think he really knew what was going on. But it was on. a different kind of, because he had Nessui with him. Yeah. That caused, the stories about that era was caused, talked about the um, breakup that is what separated Ahmed Erdogan and Jerry Wexler. Because yeah. Jerry Wexler didn't give a shit about rock and roll. No. 
and uh, but they were different personalities, I think. But that's where that all separated. Yeah. And you know, Joel always told me a story about how when that was going on, though Wexler pursued Dylan. Said, "I'm gonna got the Stones. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get, get Dylan." Wow. And did everything. Like he hired him to be on a Doug Psalm record. Yeah. And paid him ungodly amounts of money. Yeah. And then, a Geffen signs Dylan. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like a nut story because it was like. Yeah. And then that was when Kenny bought Warner Brothers and Atlantic yeah. and Electra. Yeah. And supposedly, and Electra was part of Geffen. Right, the Kinney Parking Corporation, not the yeah, parking. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not like the shoe company. It's like this totally weird thing. Just they bought it. Yeah, and so that's was the story. And then what happened was they were so embittered by this that he blew. You know that they had a meeting with Steve Ross. This is a documented story. You know yeah. about this? Tell tell him. Oh no, that. Um, I mean, Joel told me this, but it wasn't a book. I saw, right. too, that they were all in a room. He had all the label heads together. I guess Mo Austin and Joe Smith and, yeah. you know, Ahmed and, and great And he said, guys. And, I mean, actually, Wexler was pissed off at Geffen yeah. about the Dylan thing. So sure. he said... They he said, was, and he never got mad or lost his temper or stayed mad at people, though. No. <laughs> well, so when they're sitting around and then the yeah. guy goes... Uh, it's okay if you compete for artists, yeah. but not financially. Like you can't right. just be outbidding each other. You can compete right. for, and then, Wexler just stands up supposedly in the midst of this and points to Geffen and goes, "Uh, <laughs> like this, you know." Well, then tell this guy not yeah. easy about yeah, Dylan. Yeah. And Geffen was sitting there and he went, "Shut up, you old washed-up record man." Yeah. And Wexler lunged at him. Yeah. And then, then Mo and Ahmed pulling him off. <laughs> Mo, obviously not Mo of the Three Stooges, no. which no. is this behavior is reminiscent of. Yeah, um, you know, just... And that was, I think, the beginning and the end of sure. them. But, but even yeah. though they ended up bringing him back, but, you know. Yeah. So, no, but so your father, obviously, if that was the case, still managed to stay in the loop there. Yeah. But I think that he always felt like an outsider, like, you know, you know, I mean, just look at the way that he, he, he goes there and then he signs all the acts back that he loved from when he was a kid. Yeah. I mean, talk about sentimental and like loyal, like, you know, to bring Fathead and Hank and Yousef and, you know, just all those guys into the fold and Les McCann and Eddie Harris. They, I guess Eddie was already, always already there, but you know, yeah. I mean, it's. You know. No, that's we do that. And, you yeah. know, yeah, I mean, obviously, the music that you listen to when you were a kid till twenty years old is the foundation of your life, really. You know, in that way, that's the stuff that. It's funny. It's it always for gonna, me. really. It isn't for me because I look at the. At, you know, it's funny. I, you're saying that, and I'm thinking about it. You know, I think of my experience at that time in my life, and who you know, you know, I spent all those years with Marcus, and I was learning. <laughs> Like, that music for me isn't the foundation of what I do, like, at all. But you know it backwards and forwards. I knew it backwards and forwards. And you as, probably as, do now, too. If you heard any of the records that you were around with Marcus, you wouldn't know every note? I know every note. Even, if, know, you know, even if it's not your music? Totally know it, note, note for note. Maybe not to play all the parts. Like, because back then, the currency for me was not only to know it and know the parts and be able to dissect it, I needed to be able to play everything, understand the voicing, you know, like, but I don't feel those records the same way as I did then. I, I feel like I learned about music more, honestly, and this might, you might be surprised to hear this, I got more into exploring music and checking out different types of music when I started working around you, when I started working around uh, my father, when we, when we ran the, the jazz label. And we started doing box sets for artists, and we started really opening up, sort of right. looking at a lot of different things. I was very focused and learning a craft. But as far as, but so, it, like, in other words, I was just in my car and uh, heard on the radio, actually, a cover of Don Byron doing In a Silent Way. Yeah. And I just remember In a Silent Way, I was in high school and driving in my 8-track on hash or whatever, and that, that stuff always, <laughs> it's always there. 
all right. that stuff that I listened to back then and loved. Uh, uh, I remember it was beginning of Fusion, and that stuff was great. The early yeah. Weather Report, the Miles, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, even the Chick Corea, early uh, yeah. Light as a Return, Feather, yeah. and then all that CTI stuff, yeah. which was wonderful. And then, you know, right before that, it was... Whatever I had the you know the Beatles Doors and the, sure. uh, the middle I mean that's that, that's what I mean all that stuff is here but I remember the first day I went in to really spend well not the Kate Smith session that doesn't count right but uh, that was just pure great you know yeah like well, oh, Dr John and Kate Smith working you know yeah. together with my old man and uh, quite a combination of his personality I have that record yeah I've heard it I, yeah. now I, I've subsequently heard it but yes yeah, I mean what a what a grouping of people. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he tried to get John Lennon first, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Lennon didn't get it. Yeah. So Mac took his Lennon place. would have got it a couple of years later. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been there with bells on, I think, a couple of years later. But um, um, the first day was, I went in, and they were mixing a Jimmy Scott record. Yeah. Jonathan was there. Yeah. This was a record that was never going to get released until... No. You know, the other story about this one is uh, yeah. Diodato was the arranger. Yeah. And they were mixing a song an hour. Wow. Like, they did two songs in two hours or something when I was there. Wow. That's and, incredible. I know. And then Lifton. And then after that, I remember them doing overdubs on a Peter Allen record with Kenny Vance and um, Stephen Souls. No. And then, but just just the fact that he worked with Jimmy Scott and 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 Peter Allen and, the and Kate it goes Smith further. In, oh, okay. Look at that day. Uh, yep, that day. That day. Wow. And then they uh, overdub Yousef came in on a Don McLean record. All right. And then yeah, played Yousef some mixes yeah. for his live record called Ten Years Hence. Right. And he did a montage on there. He used like some of Live at Peps, and then had a clock to you know, and yeah. used like yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, ooh, he, he let him do a lot of stuff. And that night they mixed Wonderful Baby. Oh wow, Tom McLean. So this is you know, and day. apparently that song's about, about me. <laughs> that song always creeped me out. My mom would say, "That's your song. It was written for you." And I'm like, "Ooh, <laughs> that's very weird." It's interesting because like it. Joel back then used to say he's making records to, to be fucked to. Well, and then the, it, and there in lies orgasm. the... Yeah. There's orgasms in that song. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. He actually has orgasms. I, I'm so... I'm you know that, that. Trust me, there's a reason why I say that record creeps me out. Not because of that stuff. I think that's actually funny, but no. No, uh, so that was one day. And yeah. then it was like, so I started coming once a week and then twice a week and then eventually and this is largely i think ronnie vance was sort of the uh gopher in residence right and something happened there uh -huh. i don't know if it was just because they couldn't pay him anymore or uh right so i don't know what went on but he kind of moved on and he got, got some it. job in yeah. publishing somewhere yeah he did really well in publishing yeah. before he you know did the whole like and they say, yeah. yeah but he was really powerful for us he was no real but he didn't take the, the joel uh, roots wrote no, the, the, the <laughs> stay and, and, with them. No, but, yeah. but in a way, like I get that. That's you know, no, I get it. But I mean, totally, it was like you know, if he was swamp. there all that time. Yeah, obviously. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I he was taking Ross on around the city, and then I took his place, and that, yeah. that you know, I never, I still. Still, You're still like, taking Ross out around yeah. the city. No, that's me when watching him come in yeah. and then the mixing Three Sided Dream. And that was more when I saw the relationship. Once again, it's this that school, that kind of production was still in force then, mm -hmm. but it was at the end. It was it was going past third into home. Yeah. Uh it's obvious to see why that happened. Largely because artists took control of their own work more after that, and staff producers were slowly disappearing. Yeah. And one discovered that artists didn't want that input on no. their records because the producers were, there were no A&R guys, really. The producers were A&R guys. If they signed you, they took you in the studio and right. either started you out to eventually, like Prince, where you can take over your own stuff, sure. if you're right, or they framework your record. Artists would come in, 
concentrate on the music, this and that. They'd leave. The producer would mix the record sequence and bring the artist in, hear right. your record, and they'd make changes. But it was that's what they did. It was, yeah. this, and you couldn't fire your producer because the producer was a record company. Sure. And usually they were good guys. Tommy Down and Joel and all that. Oh, yeah. But yeah. then, no, come on. Then you get these A&R guys down the line who are like, no, no, no. Yeah, you yeah. need the same drum sound as Queen. Yeah. So you yeah. get, you know, I da, da, need da. to listen to this record on West Coast speakers. Because, yeah, I, I'm not sure one. if I'm, yeah. I didn't hear that line. The line I heard was Jerry Moss, who said that, <laughs> was, uh, he played, uh, okay, he's going back to the Peter Allen record. Yeah. He played, uh, this is how the album's going to start. Peter's sitting there going, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, and he plays just a gigolo solo. He goes, this is how the album's going to end. He plays just a gigolo solo, but then Francis Fay comes in. And Jerry Moss looked at Joel and went, where'd you dig Louis Prima up? Uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> wow. You knew that was uh, yeah, the, sign, the West Coast speakers line. But... Yeah. Uh, you know. Jerry Moss's son, Ron, was living next door so oh, not from... long ago. Oh, really? Now, was he the father of Elizabeth Moss? I don't know. Anyway. I, I don't know. That's yeah. what someone told me. No, I have no idea. Anyway. I don't know, I don't uh, know that any of those guys, like, personally. You know, it's funny. I worked with her. I guess Moss was Herb Albert's partner. Yeah. Yeah, I worked with Herb a little, and he was incredible. He yeah. was so much fun to work with. So I, I've heard these such diametrically opposed, you know, like, stories regarding experiences. My one thing was Herb was he played on When You Wish Upon a Star on the yeah. album of Disney music. Yeah. And he came in, and it was Van Dyke, uh, you oh. know, but Ringo requested him. Yeah. Ringo sang when he said, let's see you play it, Herb. You know, and Herb comes in, and that's the day we have the full orchestra with Van Dyke, Ringo, Harry Nilsson, and Ema Sumac. <laughs> and featuring Herbie and Albert, Albert on trumpet. He yeah. called up Jerry Moss after that, I know, after the session. I went, can we get out of this record? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this record? You know, he just yeah. like it just struck him like you know. I'm sure. Serious. Yeah. No. And I mean that day, who was around? Martin Mole was hanging around. Uh, yeah. the, the Terry Southern. It was great. But anyway, going yeah. back to yeah, the Rasan, uh, watching this relationship between Joel and the artist at that time, be it McLean or be it Yusef Rasan Fathead, was was part. It was a partnership, and I mean then. They all got there was the word no did not exist. Right. It was over, and then Rossan would come in, and Joel would play on the record, and it was he'd yeah. laugh and make a comment or something. I remember one time going down to Washington to get these sound effects, and it was yeah. uh, it was amazing stuff. And you know, we tend to either not be aware or ignore the fact that things are changing and. We're watching the end of something. It's like we got to see the lot, a lot of the end of a lot of things. Well, that's the whole purpose of this show is to chronicle yeah. the stories from sort of the slow fade of one thing into whatever it is we're doing now. But, you know, I, you know, I feel like I caught the end of, of certain things in terms of the way certain the next level of records were, were getting made. That's sort of gone. You know, there's the whole like a million A&R guys and like, you know producers functioning in a different way artists functioning in a different way I mean it's like this notion of going in and working with an artist like Youssef Latif and making like concept records I mean I would think now with the ability for anyone to do kind of whatever they want you would see more of that there's seemingly none of that you know but then Maybe that's because people don't work together the same way as they used That's not a collaboration. No. That's collaboration. And also, I have, and luckily, I managed to keep on that tradition. There's probably a few others, but a lot of the ones that are still alive have mm. uh, stopped making records. Pretty much Joe Boyd, Lenny Warnker. I mean, people from yeah. that, they just don't make records. Ted, Moore, Ted Temple, I haven't heard his name in years. No. Uh, Where is Joe? Joe is great. Where is Joe? Who? Joe Boyd. Joe Boys in England, he has a reissue label every now and then he puts out, occasionally records something, he writes books about the past. Right. And like Peter Asher, he does these things at Joe's Pub where he talks about the yeah. past. Yeah. And has whoever's still alive come and... Right. It's kind of interesting, but I mean, he asked them, I mean, he'd be an interesting guest why he doesn't do it anymore. And he yeah. will point to 
examples of REM or something that they hired him because of the love they work the work he did with Richard Thompson and the, yeah. and he's sitting there and recording and we're just kind of watching what's going on looking at it, you know just trying to put yeah. this situation and, and they're like what you, it's just, this is what I did on the records that you loved you know and then they went okay we're gonna have to remix this and went no we like the mix I went what's my job yeah <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, that's what well, I mean. That's Barton it's Fink. Producer, <laughs> producers working for the artist. How can yeah. you change the name? I mean, that's what we call, what people are calling producers, uh, as what I've been saying. To me, the word for that is artist. Yeah. They're doing everything, and the artist sings on it. That's the yeah. artist. So how is that a production? You know? Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's not a... No, I agree. It's something else. You, how can you be called a producer if you're working for the artist? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's so usually that kind of thing is, you're really music director. Yeah. Or your or your uh, event, head engineer. Event scheduler. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a yeah. different. It's uh, so I caught the. I mean, I caught the end of that in filmmaking and yeah, everything, and then been just very very lucky. I will be the first to say that that I've been yeah. able to survive. Well, you no, were, so just lucky because it's. Um, well, I think anyone who makes a living in the arts is lucky anyway. I yeah. mean, without, that's 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, we all have those little stories of someone we met by accident, you know, being out there. It's what you do with those moments. Sure. And how many people that are way more talented than any of us are that, you know, you'll never know about. Yeah. You know, it's all a, it's all a crapshoot. But, uh, um, but back into say? like, be, yeah. you're, you're, you know, moving to New York as a kid and you're start, you're going around the studio all the time. Like, how, how much time did you spend? Hanging out. How many years do you think oh. in total? I mean, I think you always end, hung out with my old Well, man, no. The but... first year I was there, it was uh, once a week to twice a week. And then that summer, it was every day. And then I was with him basically, wow, it's until for three years and everything. Uh, and then I got this job at Warner Brothers via Mary Martin. Uh <laughs> That didn't last very long. Uh, they were changing. I mean, that's a whole yeah. other thing. It was, uh, and then he uh, brought me in to work on File on the Bayou. Right. And, and that, that's years later, though. That I mean, that's it was like, 1980. That's, I already yeah, just started at Saturday Night Live. Then. Right. And uh, but he wanted me around for that, and at yeah. least the initial part of it, yeah. uh, which was very very heavy. I mean, talk about naive. So I'm down in New Orleans. And once again, Joel was very, he was very focused because he knew he wanted to fire the band, which was Ivan's right. band. Right. And that was really difficult. It was a really big deal. I remember, I remember, and I told this in another episode, like Dr. John being mad at the drummer that he ended up hiring instead of the, you know, there was, everyone had an opinion and anger about every aspect of this. A very difficult group of people. Uh... It's hard to please anyone. No, but even at my age, I'd say yeah. 1980, what was I, 24? Yeah. 23? Or 23, right. 24. So I'm um, down there and I listened to stuff and I was having, I went, you know, rhythm sections, and then you're down, um, that's right. Like he was looking yeah. for it back and then yeah. he brought Mac in and Mac eventually agreed. Yeah. That he wanted to get the real guys. Yeah, yeah. While you're down there and this is going to be for A&M Records. Yeah. This is a high profile. It's just, yeah, let's just not be it. polite here. Yeah. And then I remember him bringing each one in one at a time. Nevels and the, Little did I know until years and years later that they were all strung out. But yeah. uh, I did not. We not, I did not have a clue. Really? That that's what was going on. Oh. I mean, not, I had just recently been re-exposed to that through Willie Will Mink Deville. Yeah. Uh, you know, once again, there's another one. Doc put them together, and he sure. was brilliant with Willie. Yeah. But I don't think Joel ever, ever entered CBGBs. I don't think he ever walked in those doors. Nope. But that was, like, the best band out of there. Yeah. It was just genius work. I mean, that record, LaShawn Blue, is one of my favorite records, period, mm. ever. It's an amazing record. But, yeah, but I realized, I saw some weird behavior around that record. Sure. Well, <laughs> you know, John Willie and Toots Deville out in there. Toots actually had her face in the spaghetti. You know, just like falling down in the spaghetti, like in Clockwork Orange. 
Then he lift her head up and yell at her. You, yeah. you know, and then yeah. drop it right back into spaghetti. <laughs> and I was just like, Willie, I think we better. Uh, yeah. Is she okay? We got a little did I know in uh, 15 years. I'd be into spaghetti. But, uh, <laughs> Your spaghetti. <laughs> my spaghetti. My spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> head in the spaghetti. Yeah, that's the first name. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, so that was, uh, I was, you know, and then once again, watching some of these reactions i mean like being at that session with mona lisa aaron doing mona lisa right aaron uh, you know he tried that with you yeah. know they had the strings he had wardell right strings yeah. and he had leon pendarvis do one really did it two different ways yeah oh i didn't know because wardell really just pulled the the knacking that's the one they used yeah yeah i mean it just... aaron was waiting his whole life he was in tears and yeah he, and then the fact that A and M, I believe his name was the promotion guy, Charlie Miner. Would that be his name? That sounds familiar. He reminded me of Sergeant Phipps from the Narcotics <laughs> Squad in Philadelphia. Remember Phipps? <laughs> yeah. He was uncle. Yeah. Both of them ended the same way. Their wives shot him in the back. Oh, good lord! Both Miner yeah. and Phipps. Wow, it was good. So they went out the but, same. But but he like, they thought it was a joke. I was unreal. Like wow. they wanted those songs off that record. Oh, I know, I know, and it's spectacular to me because I listened to Aaron's version, and it's funny. I I, I was jogging the other day, and, and the Nat King Cole version came on, and it's I mean it's stunning, but Aaron's delivery and phrasing and the way he lands, I mean yeah. I. I it's weird. I like Aaron's version better. Well, so do I, but you yeah. gotta also realize that yeah. Nat King Cole probably what? Yeah. Heard that song for the first time three days before. Oh, yeah. And no. Aaron was listening to that song his whole life. For, for 30 years. And that years. version. Yeah. So, of course, he's gonna bring something else to oh, it. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it's such a, a, like, a, you know, it's, it's a colossal <laughs> version of a tune. I wonder if we could ever dig up the one with Leon's. This is C. I, don't, I wouldn't know where it is. A and M vault. A and M vaults. I don't know unless they kept that. Uh, wow. So Leon. I Leon Rogers on the string arrangement. Oh for wow! It. I didn't know he worked on that record at all. But uh, no, you just know when you, those things that are just so confusing. Now, just to touch briefly on my short tenure at Warner Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was hard. You know, I wasn't there long. I was had one sign, but it was, it was at that age. That's very heavy to go through being somewhere and then. They oh, throw they you all out. Done. It wasn't just me. It was there was a change at the company anyway, but still it became it, it was heavy. I mean heavier. I mean you're 21 years old. It's like you shot someone shot your foot off. But the first few weeks I was there, now the guy Bob Krasnow was starting this jazz division, and the first person he signed was Rossan. We did 5,000-pound men, and of course that was the symbol, and he got all these other people, so it was like Alice Coltrane, it was like Pat Martino, and George Benson. Wow. So the George Benson record. It's Electra. That's Electra. Was that a... No, this is was, Warner Brothers. This, oh, it's still Warner's proper, okay. So the record of Benson's, it was breezing with Tommy LaPuma. You know what that stuff? Now, this masquerade... million yeah. copies later, yeah. Now, Huge hit. this is coming out that week and i'm like come on i'm right out of joel I mean, yeah i mean and creatively yeah that was a great place for me to be but i had no yeah background in like i just started right away working for mary martin assistant head of a and r yeah i hadn't gone through but was you know i just nothing did not, not know about anything the way these people think you thought the record business was yousef playing on top yeah of whatever or, no i knew yeah. they had randy newman i knew about yeah, yeah, yeah. i knew about all this stuff because right. i mean also you remember that whole time that your dad was like we also had like david foreman he had uh lucy simon i mean it was like yeah. a lot of pop stuff but it yeah. was uh ellen green yeah i mean i know that's not pop but it was still not yeah you know yeah so it wasn't like I wasn't, I wasn't Mr. Avant-Garde, but still, yeah. I had the mixture. You just think it's the balance. Yeah. You know, it's the old thing of when Nestle Erdogan used to say, well, yeah, you got to have your hits to pay for the other stuff. Right. That mentality, which yeah. is not, you know. Well, now the, 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 <laughs> sentence, the sentence ends at you got to have your hits. Yeah. So we, I went to this, all these records were coming out. Yeah. And of course, the George Benson was, they didn't give a shit about any of the other records. Five thousand pounds. Then why men. did they sign them? I mean, well, that's. I think Krasnow originally was having this jazz thing, and 
this this thing started happening and in the meantime and come on Rossan and all they gave that this he might have gotten George Benson because he signed because he Pat signed, Martino right, and Rossan right you have Who these knows? artists that draw other artists artists yeah, yeah. When you're starting something like that, and he said, "Well, these are the great, you know," but then this record gets made, you know, breezing, and then, so of course everything is. But <laughs> I'm not aware of this, so we're yeah. going to see Michael Franks, who they just signed. Yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, I said, "Is is this Rich Rich Little doing a Mo's Allison?" It's like they, it was doing Mo's Allison. I mean, I would be like, I was just louder. like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. And, and then just what they want to hear from the 21 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going, I remember the guy, yeah. Eddie Gilraith. I know he's still around. He was head of promotion. There was all the black promotions there. And they're like, this is a true story. I, I this is, I, I mean, question why that. I would say this. So yeah. I'm at the table. I wasn't 21. I was 19. Oh, wow. Okay. When this was going on. Maybe near twenty. I got we got fired. I was twenty one. Oh, okay. So, so you were there for a little while. No, no, I was part time and then full time. Full time, like not even a year. All right. But so this guy, what does he say? They were all at this table and they're going on about the George Benson record. We did a Benson. I think we're going to do a hundred thousand. First we going to do that second. Did you hear the Benson? I went, yeah. And I'm like, you know, get the Benson. Yeah, yeah okay. And then I'm, I'm saying this shit about Michael Frank. You know? And I'm like, you know, well, these other records. Did you, you know, I was around for the Rossan records. You go, yeah, yeah. But the Benson. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, the Alice culture. You know, yeah, okay, the Benson. Okay. We got to have anything. Mean, and then eventually, well, you heard the Benson, didn't you? Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, I did. But I don't know. Was he trying to have a hit? Yeah. What is he trying to do? Have a hit record? Oh boy! Like, yeah. What's this? You know? Yeah. Ding 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 ding. ding. Oh, <laughs> silence. Yeah, crickets. And somehow I was. I, 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 it would have been did. nice for me to know that I wasn't going to be spending my life at this job. <laughs> there was no gold watch and pension. No, no, I would have been. That's right. But that I was just like ten years old. That's yeah, I was yeah. serious. I wasn't trying to be obnoxious. No, it's just like I felt. heard this George Benson record. It was you know da 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 yeah, no, and, and it's not even Tommy. Imagine. Tommy, of whom made a record with Klaus Ogerman that year, that yeah. was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, oh Tommy's. So I'm not putting no, on no, anybody's work. No, 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 no. Tommy, Tommy, to me, made some incredible records, yeah. and he he is brilliant at knowing which act yeah. to work with that's going to sell a ton of records. Right. You know, I met Tommy really, really, really. You know, I was I was 17 when I met Tommy, and just. You know, an incredibly generous, like you know, guy. But I mean, God bless him. They they yeah. sold a billion records yeah. with that. No, but I meant that just my mentality, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's hasn't changed. But at least I, I know how to be mm. careful. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, in the last couple of years. No, I mean, yeah. Tommy like yeah. was running A and R jazz at Electro when we did the David Sanborn record. And by the way, that's. What probably my favorite Sanborn record, and I worked on two or three before that. Yeah, but you know, I, <laughs> no, but I mean that, and that record happens because of night music, right? Yeah, well, because that's the kind of thing that David wanted to keep doing that type of stuff, right? So that's, I do have to say that what I was told years later. And by the way, I like that's like Marcus and all those guys. They'd open hand slap me for saying that's one of my favorite records. But it's a Why record. did they do that? I'm joking. They would. they wouldn't. I don't even think they care. But what I'm saying is that record. I'm like he did something different, and yeah. he did something. Well, there's two tracks on the record. Marcus produced, which is kind of beautiful. It's kind of really beautiful, yeah. and they're really they actually. It was a nice contrast. It is a nice contrast, and they show. You know what? Exactly. I, uh, they show the contrast as an artist, like between styles. I I thought it was really hip. Yeah. Record. No, it was very cool, and yeah. I, I was fine with that because it had both. Yeah. You went through the journey. You had yeah. your, you know, look at it. Always say like a meal. You had your, your appetizer, you have your entree, you got your vegetable that you don't really like, but you know it's good for you. Yeah. You know, and your dessert. Yeah. It's not just all, so it was all there. You got Definitely. through that record. It was a full meal. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I knew something was up at one point when because who was the guy, the lunatic that David had with him, Purcell. Yeah, John Purcell. John Purcell, oh, who was the, 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 the doctor. Reeds, the yeah. Dr. Sax The doctor. doctor. Yeah, I, yeah. I went through two other records watching the, the Purcell movie. Yeah. Yeah. So he had both done Soul Sacrifice, one with the section with the Joey Barron and Greg Cohen. Oh, and yeah. then there was a Soul Sacrifice yeah. with the, the whoever. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, no, I, no, I, Marcus, was it Richard T? I don't know, or someone, or T. Gadner, you know. And neither one was on the record, but... Right. I remember when we'd be working on our soul sacrifice and all of a sudden we put on the other one. And John Purcell had a big standing in the corner. Every time we'd just stand up and go, like the second the other one hit. Yeah. It was just always struck me, you know, you had this other version, like, oh, there's something, I don't know. I didn't, I thought they were both great, but yeah. you know, I just didn't know why this one was the minute his dick starts feeling <laughs> hard. But, yeah. but so we did this thing. I was really proud of a conceptual thing on that record. Yeah. With uh, also that Terry Adams on keyboards. Yeah. And uh, it was a medley from the Twilight Zone music sure. written by Bernard Herrmann and George Dunning, yeah. uh, featuring Charlie Hayden and uh, and David. Yeah. And I this was a ten minute suite. Yeah. I just thought this is. And uh, I get this phone call. We had it from Tommy. Yeah. And he goes, okay, I'm not, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to get, this isn't for an argument, but that Twilight Zone thing. <laughs> you know, he said, I'm a melody guy. Yeah. And I went, yeah. <laughs> I said, there's melodies all over that thing. I know, but he's a... No, 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 no. No, 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 like... Don't you but think... then, no, it's like the same thing when we were working on Million Dollar Hotel, and I'm sequencing it and telling these guys, I mean, Danny and Bayonne, about what they're asking me, why I'm repeating the same uh, thing on the soundtrack record in three different ways, the same theme. And I go, well, this is a soundtrack theme. record. I mean, yeah. this is what you... Yeah. Then you stop because you realize, oh, you think everybody listens to this stuff. They do no, not. They don't. No. So would I ever think that how many people bought the the trilogy of the the Twilight Zone soundtrack music or, the, <laughs> or owned the day the earth stood still or right. owned the ark I mean, yeah. and listen to that at home yeah. and I do. And so to me, those are beautiful little melodies, but they're these short, beautiful landscapes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever. I, yeah. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know what I was doing. Blah, blah, blah. So, but the thing was, it would have been interesting with that record to see. I mean, I was told years later yeah. that David's management. I guess that was Pat Rains, right? Yeah. Yeah, PRA. You know, I mean, it was a new label yeah. and all this. It was. I knew it was a difficult record, he said. Yeah. And stop promoting it, I'll deliver another one with David. Versus, so within two months, right? If I remember calling Joe Farrell about something, there was this weirdness on the other end. Was, right, I'm going in with David next week, you know, engineered arts and we're with Marcus. And we're, yeah, they made uh, yeah, I don't you know, the boom power. I don't know, but bang bang, bang. they had is like that a, it? yeah, and it's like, like a uh, hit and. You know, whatever. But that yeah. was, but in other words, the record company stopped promoting it. Yeah. And they wanted to promote it. I mean, I was told that by someone who got fired years later. We really wanted to. Sure. So it would have been I mean, interesting it, to see if that would have It's still an made, incredible record. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's funny. Like, David is, you know, I don't know David beyond being around him as a 17-year-old, but he seemed like a guy that really loved music and really appreciated the people that, you know, like his guys that he learned from and was very aware of like you know he could really play anything he's such a i think in a way like as 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 many records as he's ever sold and as yeah. many sort of like hits as he's ever had there aren't a lot of guys like that where it's like yeah he can play like cannibal adderley he can play like you know hank he can play like bert like he really can play and he's also was hip enough to see a guy like kenny garrett come yeah. on the scene and go well i gotta I gotta cop some of his shit. Like yeah. he's a great, spectacular musician. But you know? that's all there. And his, uh, he, him, and Marcus, they've made some beautiful records. I oh yeah. That. Except is once again we're going back to the meal thing. There's also a side of David that could play Arnett. 
Oh, absolutely. And that loves that stuff. Yeah. There's a side of him that that likes Albert Eiler and all. Yeah. So why you would want in our way of thinking? Yeah. Where's the both sides? Sure. That's the that's the thing, and I think that must. If you ever talk to him on this show, I think that must paint him a bit. I, you know, I would have to think that the kind of success that you have doing what it is that he well listen i you know it's easy to say well i would do this you're like honestly yeah. i would be, you know like i make my own records i can do whatever i want i right. make what i make because there's a balance between commerce and art and i get out of them what i want but i would say to him like well, you could easily just do like you could do any record you want i mean if anything it just adds to the legacy yeah.